0: Hey, Rodney. How are you today? What's going on, brother? I want to talk today about... I'm doing well. How are you? I want to talk about the mammalian dive reflexes. You're laughing into your microphone. You can't answer right now. But I want to talk to you people listening about the mammalian dive reflex. Now, you have heard me in the past talk about cold showers, and I may have even talked about this without calling it what it was. Now, the mammalian dive reflex is this thing that we mammals have where you dive under some water, usually cold water, and it. Sparks this breathing reflex that, well, just a lot of good stuff happens from it. Your brain processes things gooder. <laughs> your lungs are more efficient with oxygens. Hey, I know you're judging me because I'm talking like this. So you're like, there's no way he knows what he's talking about. But I, I beseech thee, goeth to the Google and look up the mammalian dive reflex and then take yourself to your shower and put it on cold and dive put it in your face and dive just put the cold water on your face well you can simulate the dive by holding your breath mm. that's an important part mm. you got to be holding the breath mm. to activate the mm.
1: reflex this is in that right ruby amazing that my friends is what we call a shtick Let's get it started, Rodney. This is season four, and this is all about shared American ideals. And as we all know, there are many shades to, in today's America.
0: Yeah, you know, see the shining sea and all that.
1: But uh, today, more than ever,
0: we we Americans seem to forget that compassion is a big part of what this is all about. But that's why Keith and I are here. We're here to anchor you all in the
1: space of compassion. And so what we're gonna do is, we're gonna start keeping these intros a bit shorter, but today we are with Dr. Curtis Takata of Rooks. Um, he is our first conversation of, of season four, and in it, we talk about understanding culture beyond yourself, what it means to be of mixed race, what it means to be alive and to be oneself, how race matters, and so much more including social capitalism and what it means to him to be a lefty, as he puts it. Um, so we're He's excited He's to be good. bringing that today. He's like a conservative lefty, but I, I'll tell you, I
0: got lost a little bit on some of that, but I love it. I love the conversation. It up my, my political game. And look, when you get lost, it's okay. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to ask the people around you about it. I tell my daughter this all the time. Sometimes we need help. All right, look, we're, I told you, Keith told you we're going to keep this short. So look, look, don't forget to follow us on, on the socials. You can find all things More In Common at moreincommonpod.com. Thanks again for helping us anchor humanity in compassionate conversation. And if you like what you hear,
1: share, share, share. share.
0: Maybe even leave a comment, you know what I mean? All uh, right, we will uh, get into it. To the show.
2: We either embrace diversity, we have inclusiveness, and then we engage, right? Because yeah. if we don't, whatever we're trying to build will die. And so engagement, to me, when you truly engage, again, that, that you make someone else matter. <laughs> it's a transformative act. Yeah. Including people may or may not be transformative. I can include a lot of people at the table. I don't have to listen to them.
1: All right, welcome back. Today we are with Dr. Curtis Takada Rooks, born in Japan but grew up in many places, spending his early childhood in Kansas, North Carolina, and Texas, moved to, to spending his formative years in Okinawa, and then came back to the States as an adult to spend time in New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Alaska, and ultimately settling down in California. He's a husband of 21 years and has an amazing daughter who is now studying at Yale. Uh, Dr. Brooks earned his B.A. in 79 with a double major in economics and Asian studies from Dartmouth College. He received his M.A. in public policy from Trinity College in 82 and his Ph.D. in comparative culture from the University of California, Irvine. His research interests include applied community-based research focusing on cultural competency in community health and uh, ethnic community development. Um, some of his current projects include a cultural assessment of Japanese and African-American senior caregiving needs and community partnerships in chronic disease needs assessment in the Samoan community. We're super excited to have you today. Yeah. Thanks for joining right. us. On super um, short notice, by the way. Yeah. Um,
2: I'm super glad to be here. <laughs> yeah.
1: oh. um, so in 2007, you wrote an awesome article, which we will post in the show notes. Um which I had the fortune to stumble upon and read. Um, uh, growing up, it's about you growing up with both Japanese culture um, and African American culture from your mom and dad, respectively. Um, but you conclude the article with, so I am left with the questions of what does it mean to be? But you know what, the most fun is the continual discovery of the answers. So 12 years later, how does what, what more have you discovered after, after uh, the past decade?
2: Well, you know, I think this notion of being is I think is an important one. And I think particularly for people of mixed race background, um, so often you're asked to choose to be either black or Japanese or white or whatever the case may be. And it usually sort of um, matches with your phenotype, right? What your skin tone is, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm but it may not. but but it may not right and so for me it's it's really about a state of being being mixed is right um and so that business that i talked about in a, in a ted talk is just yeah. just it is right and so and that changes right it changes based on circumstance place who you're in relationships with, who you're not in relationships with, um, but they're all a part of who you are, right? So that, that journey of being, right, what it means to be has led me since then to do some really fun things. I've been able to spend a lot of time taking uh, students from historically underrepresented groups, mostly sort of African-American, Latino, Asian-Americans to Japan, Um, under a Ministry of Foreign Affairs program called the Kakahashi Initiative, of which um, we do a a thing called the Tomodachi Inouye Scholars Program, so that those students could, and many of the students that I took, had never even left California. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They never thought about going to Japan. It wasn't a part of their imagination, and suddenly it was. Um, And so those sorts of things, right, it allowed, that being being, Japanese, which gave me a connection to work with the Japanese government through the U.S. Japan Council and some other things, uh, allowed me to take take that and um, bring, as I say to my students, I get to, I get to introduce you to both my homes, <laughs> all of who I am, um, and hopefully it will enrich you.
0: Um, we talked about it a little bit in the past, and it's something that I'm really interested in partially for myself as an African American whose last name is Campbell. Like that's not a super African originating name. It's not at all. It's from the UK, but uh, trying to understand my own identity. Right. But then even more for my daughter because my wife is Irish, German, Lebanese. I'm African American. She's going to be able to, she's a little mixed girl.
2: And your daughter is.
0: And She is exactly. And, helping her oh, i guess there's some irish on my side too but um just like trying to help her through whatever that is and i've heard lots of different stories from people exploring it and some not being allowed to explore it unfortunately because right. of right their families and whatnot so that what you just said and that the we'll post the ted talk in the, the show notes but the Your daughter's breakdown of just being and like what it's like sometimes like it's very touching for me
2: well you know when she she did that she was about seven and so it really blew me away that she was able to have sort of a a complex understanding um and she did that for the class right and interesting about that um following that the class and their level of work and a level of analysis their level of of effort just jumped. I guess, do you want (laughs) to share
0: what she said? Well, you know,
2: when she was, um, she was coming to a class, she was with me and, and she, so I asked her if she wanted to say something to this class and this class on mixed race identity. And so she, the night before she had talked to me a lot about her grandfathers. And so I thought that was going to be a part of her story. But when she arrived at the class, she said to me, can I use the, can I use the whiteboard? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, well, go after it. And so she went up to the board and she puts a J and then she puts a A and then in the middle she puts a B and then she puts a smiley face and she says, "You know, Sometimes I feel Japanese and that makes me happy. <laughs> and then she says, but sometimes when that happens, other people don't like it that I'm Japanese. And that makes and then she dries a face and she puts sort of an angry face. That makes me mad. <laughs> and then she she starts to think about it. And she works her way through, right? It makes her sad and then it made her mad. And then finally she decides for herself that she doesn't want to like, be like the people who make her mad. And so she dries a smiley face and that makes me happy. Then she goes over to the. A, She goes. Sometimes I feel African American, and that makes me happy. And then she repeats that. Sometimes people don't like that, and that makes her sad. And then she gets angry, but she doesn't want to be like them, so that makes her. She decides she's going to be happy. And then she goes to the middle. She says, "Sometimes I feel like both." And she draws a happy, sad, angry, happy. And I'm thinking at that moment, wow, wow, she gets this class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think for my students, they they. It hit them and allowed them to get it. Um, and so it really, like I said, changed the whole dynamic for what was a good class before. It went from being a good class to being an outstanding class. And one of the things that happened in that class, um, one young woman played the flute and she was a music major taking the class. And so for their projects, I let them choose whatever works for them. You know, you don't have to write a paper. It's sort of who you are, you bring it to the table. Sure. And so she composed a flute piece wow. that expressed her identity. And then, oh. and, you know, in her journaling of what she did and, and sort of the changes of the music and all those sorts of and it was one of the most beautiful pieces I've ever oh. heard. Um, and so um, I think to be free to be who you are, right? It has multiple applications for anyone who finds themselves on the margins. Yeah. Right? Where people... Aren't sure who or what you are by looking at you and that sort of what are you question comes yeah. in, whether it's your sexuality, whether it's, you know, pretty much anything. But when you find yourselves at the margins, you tend to be devalued. <laughs> you you're not even recognized as existing. Yeah. Or people hoped you won't exist. Yeah. Um and so by reclaiming that being, that isness, I think, um, becomes real important
1: how do you help people if they ask or do it yourself um, with that being when you do have we'll say cultural pressure to be more black or be more japanese or like because i mean it's such a powerful sentiment right like be who you are and embrace the things that are you, but like how do you help people with that, that navigation?
2: Well, I help them navigate it in the way that says we're multiples of everything, right? We play various different roles. I'm both a father, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a brother. That doesn't mean I'm all those things at one time, right? So um, depending on the context and circumstance. So when I'm in the black community, I probably exercise more Um, African-American culture. Um, When I'm in the Japanese-American community, Japanese community, I probably exercise more Japanese, Japanese Japanese-American culture. In a lot of ways, you know, it's about communicating both your feelings and as well as um, getting needs met. So being able to speak multiple cultural languages, I think, becomes an advantage. Our society wants you to only be one thing. So when you can do multiple things, they tend to, to, to not trust you that somehow, you know, you're two-faced, three-faced, whatever it happens to be, right? And so to allow people to be comfortable with, it's okay to move in and out of spaces and in and out of places and be comfortable with that knowledge that you're more, right? You're more than, you know, you're more than the sum of your parts.
1: It's an interesting the analogy of culture to the identities that we all are. Like, everybody is a friend. Everybody is a son or a daughter. More, you know, a father or a a mother. But we all have these identities that just because the skin color or the way you look, it's still uh, the the same principle at the end of the day of how just more things that other people have to navigate through. Because at
2: the end of the day, like we started before, is it? People want to know they matter. Yeah, And so in that relationship that you have with people, whether it's a familiar relationship or if it's a stranger relationship, it's about mattering, right? And in different roles, you show that in different ways. Yeah, You know, when I'm in my uncle role, I can listen to be very generous about Um, My niece and nephew's ideas and things they want to do and those sorts of things because I'm not the person who's there to Sort of guide them in a certain way. I'm there to support them no matter what they do, right? Now if my daughter came with the same thing, she might get a very (laughs) different different response and she's going like, wow, how come you're so nice to them and you're so (laughs) tough with me? Well, because I'm not their daddy, right? I have a different role, right? So I need to speak a different emotional language even with them, right? right? So uh, so I, I think that because society tries to tell us that we only have a single identity, that I think it becomes very difficult, especially um,
1: on racial lines, on racial yeah. lines,
2: on gender lines, on yeah. sexuality lines, anything in that particular. falls
1: outside the, the historically me. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: white guy. <laughs> well, well, but I mean, each culture does it. It's not that uh, it one is group. That, yeah. that, I mean, if, it is true, yeah. In some cases, if you it's at
1: ideology or whatever the case may be. If you,
2: right? if you really look at like the Japanese character for foreigner, it, it merely means outsider. Mm. Um, and huh. if you look at sort of Yupik language, uh, it's the people and not the people, yeah. <laughs> right? So all societies have some sure. ways of doing that. The question is sort of not only who's included, but who's engaged? Mm. Right? I mean, I think in this day and age of uh, issues of diversity and those other things, you know, the, you know, sort of more in common that you guys are doing, but, who, you know, we talk about diversity and inclusion. And I've done some work with some other folks in sort of this arena. Um, and when we talk about it, we say, you know, what's missing is engagement. Right? But if you do the acronym, it's DIE. Mm. <laughs> Right. Inclusion, yeah. Inclusion, so, diversity. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so when I talk with my students and I tell them about said we're either it's either die or die uh, as a society, right? We either have we either we're, embrace we're diversity, we have inclusiveness, to die, to and die. then we engage, right? Because yeah. if we don't, whatever we're trying to build will die. And so, engagement to me, when you truly engage, again, that that you make someone else matter. Yeah. It's a transformative act, yeah. including people may or may not be transformative. Yeah. I can include a lot of people at the table. I don't have to listen to them. Right. 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 So for me, it's an issue. Can you, if they matter, that means you will respect what they say, who they are. You don't have to agree with them, but if you engage, right. And so I think engage that, that piece of engagement. So inclusive inclusivity or inclusiveness and engagement, right. Because to me, at a certain level, diversity is a given, right? You know, if you look at well, um, what do you mean by that? Diversity is a given. Is that no individual is the same? Mm. I mean, if we even if we look among white folks, we look among black folks. There's no two. Even twins are not the actual the same, right? So diversity is a given. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if. You know, I think one of the things that happened with us in this sort of issue of diversity and, and sort of multiculturalism, all those sorts of things, is we, when we got everyone around the table, we patted our back, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, totally. we've done it. Yeah, yeah. That's where we should have been at the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now the work begins. That's the space. it right? created. Now the work begins, yeah. right? So the three of us are all all married, right? Yeah. When you get married and you do that ceremony, that's the beginning, man. Yeah, yeah. And then the work really yeah, begins, yeah, right? Because right, right. you find out there's two ways to cook a hot dog. <laughs> Iron a shirt. Iron shirt. <laughs> put a you. toilet paper roll on. All I know is my way is the wrong way for oh, everything. All this, right? all the stuff. I won't go there on it because <laughs> I'm I don't. Just but, but, but I'm just <laughs> saying that you begin. That's where the work begins. Mm-hmm. Totally. The work of communication yep. because you've committed to each other in such a way that you're saying I'm not backing out of this. Yeah. It's never, e- it's rarely easy. <laughs> it gets hard. And it's constant. But, yeah. you know, um, and it's, it, you're right, and it's constant. But it is, is so worthwhile. Oh, yeah, right? 100%. So when we talk about issues of diversity, right, having a diverse group of people is not the end. Yeah. It's, you know, it's where we should have, I actually, It's where we should have been in the first darn place. Yes. Inclusiveness and engagement. Yeah. Right, and and again, for me, the inclusiveness doesn't go far enough. We have to engage one another,
1: yeah. I uh, i understand the synergies of the, oh, the consulting practice uh, yeah, that yeah, you guys even, are. Like, I didn't even share the engagement part, yeah, uh, with like, him. We'll, we'll call it inclusion, diversity, and uh, engagement, so we can just call it IDE I'd or EDE. The IDE's a march, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's what I was thinking. March 15th, that's. Three my three favorite days of the year, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, my wife's birthday, okay high day in the heights. <laughs> <laughs> um oh god, there are so many places I wanna go. Well, right I wanna now, to but ask a little bit about critical race. Like teaching a class on critical race. Or like what
1: is well how do, how do you what's what's the class do defined you, as? Do you do you think we can take a quick pivot before we Yeah, you go there pivot? yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I because I think there's a tie in real quick. Um, just given your background, you talk about, I mean, what was it like being, um, half African American in Okinawa during your formative years? Yeah.
2: Well, the nice thing about being in Okinawa during those years, it was also when, um, there were a lot of different, uh, riots in the States, um, I wanna say the date was there when MLK was shot, um, Robert Kennedy was shot, cause I was there from 68 to s- basically uh, this January of 71. And uh, most of the folks there, I mean the kids that are with the, the families, our dads were going to Vietnam, mm. <laughs> in and out of Vietnam. So the only color that really mattered was green, right? Uh, so yeah, military, yeah. right? Um, but there were also an awful lot of families that were mixed. Um, so, and particularly Asian mixed, but, um, so there was a Latino Japanese family, there was a black Japanese family, there was white Japanese family. So, you know, in that sense, I wasn't abnormal. Mm-hmm. There was there were these sort of critical masses and clusters. Not that we necessarily all got along, not that any of those other things, but you just didn't feel odd. Yeah. And I remember we were all. And is that on base? This was on base. And um, cause I went to, we went to DOD schools. Mm-hmm. And so the guys you played basketball with, football with, the the girls in your classes, everything, right? So it was also the time where everybody was looking for a name, right? It was just, you know, African-Americans went through Afro-American, uh, all sorts of different names. Sure. And so I was, we were sitting around talking about this. So we we're in junior high and one of my buddies, Glen Ozumi, from Hawaii was that was was there and we were, were talking and he goes I know what you are and I said what he goes you're a Hapa Afro a right Hapa. Hapa from from Japan I yeah, mean from Hawaii um, being we, we mixed yeah. and then Afro was because it was Afro-American so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like 13 years old and I thought yeah I am I had a name for myself this sort of notion of identity so from then on that wasn't problematic yeah. <laughs> right uh, yeah, the yeah. other piece that happened to me while i was there was um you know when you get there and and the sort of the the gis have this sort of slang for for the vietnamese they were gooks and so mm-hmm. they then extended it to all other asians so the okinawan folks were gooks and so oh, really? so I so they out. oh yeah so i came home one night day and you know as a 12 year old 11 12 year old and I said I said something about gook uh-huh. <laughs> my father grabs me behind the neck picks me up <laughs> my feet aren't touching the ground takes me to the bathroom in front of the mirror he goes you want to see a gook there's a gook uh-huh. <laughs> you no know, if they're a gook your mom's a gook yeah. if they're if your mom's gook you're a gook okay got this yeah <laughs> that word never came out of my mouth in that way right, right. I mean used it to illustrate this story but it Reminded me of my interconnectedness with the people of Okinawa, even though you know that within the Japanese sort of notions of of self and purity, Okinawans aren't quite Japanese, all that kind of stuff, right? But it was really interesting. Hmm. Sounds like French for it. It 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 for me really forced me to understand right sort of my identity in ways that I had not. So I, and, and in some ways I had parents who were ahead of their time yeah. or, and maybe my dad, because he had been to Vietnam twice then and it was right before he we went the third time. He went um, three he, yeah, he did three tours. Um, and so it, army that, army so that he was a, he was a nurse. So, yeah. um, he did three tours, but I think for him, um, that kind of denigrating language right cuz he grew up with it yeah, right, like we, weren't blacks. It. right. Yeah. we weren't black no, right we weren't black right we weren't negro we were right um and so for him hard, to have hard, something something having something that denigrating come out that sort of a term right that sort of a slur wasn't going to happen in his house so I why do
0: you think yeah. like this why do you think that, that hasn't permeated through from more Blacks, African-Americans in the States when speaking about Latinos or other groups here, like it, there's 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 no connection, like that connection you just made, it doesn't seem to be there.
2: I think and, and it's sort a of- huge, it's a huge it's, question. It's a huge question, I, and, and I think circumstance has a lot to do with it. I mean, that we're pitted against each other is not happenstance. Right. 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 So it, it was, you know, as, as much as I love the United States and sort of the principles that are around it, right. The way in which race has worked in our society, getting to sort of notion of critical race, that race matters and it plays a, plays a, a salient and important role. And one of the ways that race mattered, particularly as it related to both politics, culture and economy, was to pit races against one another, right? Um, The most famous that we know are the model minority image, but it happens at sort of all different levels, right? And so if you restrict access to resources and say to someone else, the reason you can't have those resources because this other group keeps you from having them, right? Or, Or, I have influence in a city, my population's going down, the other population's coming up, I have something to lose, they have something to gain. But as uh, Johnny Scott from Cal State Northridge once said, right, he said, you know, he works with guys in prisons and so the Latino guys, the black guys are talking about sort of roaches, right? And they're, they're getting the fights because, like the roaches in my community were bigger than roaches in your community. And, that's the thing. And, and right, so of. right? So 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 Johnny, you know, Professor Scott goes, they're arguing about that when they should have been asked the question, why the hell do we have roaches in our yeah. house? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like so, they, just accept so, so, yeah, they accept as that norm, as a norm. Yeah. Right. Um, and so um, so so you know the there was a series that was called Eyes on the Prize about the civil rights movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good series. So in this case, the eyes were, the eyes weren't on the prize. Mm-hmm. Right? They were they were they were focused on conditions that shouldn't exist, period. Yeah. But then comparing who had it worse, and so that tells you sort of the the toxic nature of the way in which race has been used, right?
0: It was uh, last night watching Trevor Noah. Actually, he was pointing out how every time Trump, President Trump, brings up race, he uses not every time he often uses the word infestation. So when he's talking about Latinos, Muslims, Blacks, mm-hmm. he uses the word infest, infestation, some like his derivative. description of Baltimore. Yes, like his description mm-hmm. of Baltimore, and that's ab- absolutely playing on that feeling of like, oh, well, they're coming, they're taking your resources, or they're a plague on your, on the land.
2: Well, that notion of invasion and infestation goes back to Irish when they came. It oh, was totally. with sou- southern, s- yeah. southern uh, Europeans, Eastern Europeans. It was with Asians. The difference being from those groups is that white Southern Europeans, white Eastern Europeans, and Irish were allowed to eventually become white. Not even, sub- not even a not even a to be yeah. become white, because yeah. there's there there is in both um, uh, property law and in sort of society mm. a, a a value to whiteness. Right. There's a prop there was a property value to whiteness. Yeah. So once um, once they determined that only persons of African descent could be enslaved, mm-hmm. then whiteness had a value because all those indentured servants who came from Ireland and other places, they had, no, they had they, a path. They had a path. Right. And so there there was a reason to separate themselves from the blacks.
0: Which is, yeah, it's, right? actually that's exactly when it happened too with the Irish. And right. you see it with Asians as well. Like, oh, well, if we can be white, then I don't need to fight for their rights,
2: but and, and the Asians are a little more complicated because the Irish actually could become white, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Asians you can't can't right, right? Um, and so uh, they do it in some other ways, but for the Irish, right? And and so you see this notion of whiteness really start to come to play um, in the '60s and during the civil rights movement, because before that, sure, your ethnic among white ethnic's your ethnic background was was if you think of these concentric circles of identity you were irish you yeah. were this right that no longer became the the center of that concentric oh, circle of identity right. it became white right irish right, da, 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 right. right? Finn, whatever but 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 it was always in juxtaposition to right this this idea that freedom opportunity etc was a zero sum game right so if blacks gain then you have to lose, yeah, right? right? Yeah. If this group gains, you have to lose. Right. Ha. Pit, you know, so pit it any way you want Now, wish. do
1: you think that historically is something, I mean, as a cultural anthropologist, when we think about the the nature of zero sum when the country was formed, I'm not saying it was justified or right, but resources were still far more limited than they are today, right? Like food and other things or was it thought and it's just something that's permeated the generations or like wh- why can't we get out of that
2: see i would say historically there are actually greater resources at the beginning because there are fewer individuals to take to take, take, to take of care all the resources the, the that, the no,
1: agricultural but, advancements and other things right
2: yeah. well why well, so let sort of let me sort of understand with a vast amount of resources most land etc most of which we took from someone yeah but the opportunities were limitless yeah and so you can see some Mm -hmm. economic studies that show that through the late 1800s previous generations were able to outdo the former generation right since the late 1800s after industrialization pretty much middle class folks stay middle class Mm. (laughs) working class stay working class yeah Right. We have these sort of stories of someone who overcame there. Sure. Right. But, you know. But even a lot of them, like
0: my head went to like Zuckerberg, but Zuckerberg was not middle class when he started.
2: No. And neither was he went
0: from top class to to top top class. class.
2: The same with Bill Gates. Right. Right. Yeah. So. So when you start to take a look at these different pieces, right? I mean, athletics has been a pathway for some people, music, some other things, but by and large the class that you're born in is the class that you're going to die in. Hmm. Before 1880s, 18 and the industrial revolution, that wasn't necessarily the case, right? You might go from working a factory to owning your own farm hmm. or to having your own craft shop or something, right? So there's a the, the social step up
1: the resources to be gained were greater right at the time so yeah.
2: so when you say that but but even then sort of who would have access to those things who would be seen as as being engaged who would you, who did you want to engage within in society right <laughs> who so in that case that was about sort of who was going to be included and who wasn't Right? Who were the people, and who were not the and, people?
1: And I, I guess the the reason I asked that question is simply to get to the root of the zero sum mentality, which is something that continues in many um, facets of our culture in the United States, especially. So, if, if
2: you take a sort of, um, I'm I'm a little bit of a lefty, so I'll I'll I'll, yeah, I'll say it right there, admit it. Yeah. So, how do you keep working class folks, middle and working class folks, from thinking that there's an opportunity, right? I, yeah. I mean, it's sort of in this. If the the elite economic elite group wants to keep as much of that as they can, right? They create this mythology that hey you can get it, number one, and but and if you're not getting it, it's because not because I'm not giving it to it's you. Because you're not working. Because you're enough. not working hard. Mm-hmm. Take or t- they're take, taking it from you. Take take for example this question mm-hmm. about um single single pair healthcare. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the big arguments is, well, if we go to Medicare for all, that means you can no longer you know, choose your own insurance policy, et cetera. And all those hard-won things that the union worked for to get you those benefits, right? It's interesting because if we had a single-payer health care program, then the union can actually fight for higher wages. <laughs> Like which is what you really, really need. need to your yeah. eyes on the prize right? comment. So, it, like, so it's mm-hmm. what you really need for, for stability and advancement. Yeah. So if you take that, because if you look at, despite, I know, right. the sizes of cockroaches. well, cause you know, I, you know, as a, as an administrator at, you know, at LMU and doing a lot with the budget, healthcare costs went up higher than anything else. Yeah. And so we were constantly struggling to try to meet those healthcare costs without passing as much on to, to, uh, the faculty and staff, uh, staff and faculty. If we didn't have to do that, <laughs> right? A, it would take some say, upward pressure on tuition. Mm-hmm. It would allow us to give the staff, particularly the 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 the, the hourly staff, better wages, etc. But we, you know, but we were working hard to stop stop the um, healthcare costs, right? So even in the way that that's cast. Right? A, whatever the single payer is, uh, there's lots of different models one can use so that you have, so that you take out sort of uh, the sort of competitive thing we have with insurance now. But when they come attack it, like, like these unions really fought hard so you could have those benefits and they're going to take those benefits away from you, I'm saying, I would say to them, if that isn't a problem, that isn't an issue on the table, think what the unions could really fight for, <laughs> right? Because the way in which the the owners have worked it is, you know, we can give you good health care, yeah, right. We can give you good health care. We can try to hold your deductibles here, mm-hmm. but if we do that, but but your wages are going to have to stay the same.
0: Yeah, it's uh, hide the it's hide the cheese. I like to refer to it as hide the cheese.
1: I mean, it it's it's this reflective. It, it's almost this yeah. this reflection of how capitalism ultimately works and i'm not trying to throw shade at capitalism but you know there there are flaws to the system and ultimately saying that listen the the reason jobs go overseas is because there's cheaper labor right at the end of the day it's it's and as long as we promote that that idea that profits are king the Mm -hmm. highest are okay to earn the most without investing in the lowest we create this disparity right. that continues to perpetuate but, this this sense of. But we have a structure inequality. that supports it, right? So, totally.
2: Because of the way the corporate laws work, yep, they have to chase profit yeah. and short-term profit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's if they don't, yeah. Um, your shareholders can sue, etc. cetera, right? right. So there's, it, it's baked it's into the system, right? Right. Yeah. So they will chase uh, lower wages, workers abroad, yeah. right versus here. Because that's what they're that's what they're required to do, yeah. um, so it's not just this idea, right? It's um, it's been baked into the sort of legal system Systemic. as well, right? Yeah. So you know, again, you know, I would love to hear our presidential candidates flip that thing on the on the unions because uh, we're, the Democrats are pretty bad about rhetoric most of the time, so we'll, it's, we'll it's stop that. It's pretty there. bad as generous, but. <laughs> But, but to understand, right, you know, when someone says, you know, sort of unions are socialism, at a certain level, absolutely. But how does an individual have a voice in a system that doesn't listen to individuals? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta find a way to be represented. Right? Yeah. So, so you get represented collectively, right? Right. So, hmm. but again, if unions didn't have to fight for healthcare, right, and if that's not a part of the issue, then unions can fight for wages, working conditions, other things, right? That, um, and the types of benefits that a corporation would have to give would be home ownership loan programs, right? Because I believe in social capitalism, so right now the big benefit, if I'm a company, says you get healthcare and some form of retirement, right? But if the healthcare's out of the picture, then you can bargain for it. Then if I need to attract you as a worker, I might have to be even, even more sort of uh, uh, creative. Universities do it all the time. One of the things that, because of housing costs in LA, one of the things we do when we're recruiting faculty is saying we have a faculty, we have a housing loan program with a, f- with a forgivable element to it, huh. right? Huh. Because we can't pay the wages <laughs> that would allow home ownership for for uh, assistant yeah, professor. You know. yeah, I didn't realize right? that, yeah in LA so we have these other programs right it, make, um,
0: it makes sense though
1: it you you said something you you threw it in there um, this idea of social capitalism yeah you did. Um, I want to go there because personally I am of the mind and and understanding that you know capitalism is an economic system and right. democracy is a government system right that is designed to protect the people Quote, unquote. Right. Right. And and, in theory, it's equal opportunities. So having social capitalism, ultimately, and the way I hear it is government is there to ensure that the capitalist ecosystem protects the people, giving them their opportunities to live the what we call the American dream. Yet it's now conflated. And I think by um, people who promote the idea of socialism, which has an incredibly negative connotation in this country that reduces it, the idea of social capitalism. So how do you look at social capitalism in, in thinking through what that looks like for a better opportunity for, for everybody?
2: I think the way that you define it would be the way that I would. Yeah. Um, but because we, we have elements of social capitalism, um, whether it's building infrastructure, <laughs> Because um, no corporation yeah. could afford to build all the roads, sure. et cetera. So we, those sorts of things. So we already have elements of it, right? Um, and so the area that, that is being contested now is in health care. And I think one of the biggest problems with that is we treat health as if it's a consumer good. Mm-hmm. But health is not a consumer good. It's a public good. Infectious disease doesn't care what your bank account is founder of Apple um Steve Jobs Steve Jobs Steve, yeah. he died of cancer yeah didn't care what his bank account yeah. was and who he was Man, right
1: Ruth Bader Ginsburg has had so, cancer three times so
2: so so what my point is that health right Yeah, it's particularly infectious health diseases right they impact everyone right and so when we te- treat health as a consumer good mm. we're, we are treating it as a somehow this person, your health doesn't impact my health, but it does. But it does. Whether it's your mental health, yeah. whether it's your physical health, whether it's your, an infectious disease. If you miss lots of time at work, that means other people have to pick up what you're doing. It, the deduction from productivity of everyone at work, Yeah. right? Because the company exactly. to hit those revenues, that you right? Just talked about whatever it's doing. So health, whether again, whether they're talking about mental health, physical health, those sorts of things impact us all, right? Um, so if we treat it like a consumer good, mm-hmm. like my car, then we've missed we've missed the boat, yeah, right. And I think that's part of the problem in how we understand healthcare and how we talk about healthcare.
1: Totally, I think. I mean, just that—not to interrupt—but the idea of the 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 core messaging now is is it a right or a a privilege right and we i mean i fundamentally think it's a a right but i think the way you phrase it is it's a public good is far more impactful (laughs) from a messaging standpoint than is it health it's matter, a right. public health matter. It's
2: it's a necessity. Yeah, it's neither a right or it's, privilege. It's got it's a nothing necessity. to
1: do with you as an individual necessarily, so much as you, how your health impacts everybody around us. If we had a case of the plague, most people would probably agree. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, it, again, yeah. we don't
2: we don't balk at paying for the fire department. No. Most of us will never need the fire department. Most of our homes will never be impacted by it. But if your neighbor's does catch on fire,
1: you're okay with the fire. Department You're in a department being with deployed. a fire
2: because that's what it's there for, right? right? To protect your property in that way. Yeah, health is a lot like that. Mm. I've never right? heard of
1: someone. Well, it I, that I mean, I think
0: part of it is. Um, I mean, we have such a broken view of even personal health. You know, so mm. much of it's is retroactive, and it's it's. You know, we can get into the drug companies and right. all that, like the profits, the capitalist side of it. But we're not even taking a proactive look at our own health let alone my neighbor's health right right
2: well and again that again so if i were to engage in this sort of conversation at the societal level Mm -hmm. i'd first start with health is not a consumer good yeah so when you begin to, to think about solutions if you think as a consumer good you'll come to radically different outcomes if you understand it
1: as a public a public not a right or a privilege it's
2: not a right it's not a right or a privilege it's a necessity yeah it's a necessity in any society
1: yeah
2: whether again infectious diseases wipe out an entire society if you have a society in which depression is a large part of productivity is very down whether it's catching fish or or growing growing grains yeah or if it's working in a factory, yeah. right? Any of those things, right? So if you begin to sort of sort of look at that, right? Um, it would change it would change the way we would have to understand it.
0: Yeah. You also right before that, you mentioned you're a bit of a lefty and kind of couched it. What like so left right, Democrat, Republican, but like what does a lefty mean to
2: you? Well, I mean, you know, so when you come up in terms of uh, academics, right? Yep. So having that sort of critical eye on sort of capitalism and being able to sort of talk about capitalism and both its things that it does well, but also things that it doesn't do well. Right. The lefty brings you closer to sort of understanding some socialists or socialism principles, right? And so when I say I'm a bit of a lefty, is that why I believe in free markets and all those other things, number one, free markets have never existed. So when we talk about capitalism as a pure economic theory, there are possibilities that it can work. But it's not pure. never has been. But in any political economy of any society, there are strengths and there are weaknesses, whether it's a, a hunter-gatherer, whether it's any of those other things. I Every society has habits.
1: On paper actually has a, looks pretty good. an appeal, but... Once you add the human element to it
2: so 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 any sort of political economy yeah, we would totally. come up with will have strengths and challenges yeah. um, and so the understanding of capitalism as an economic system but also sort of mentality of competition those other things I, I don't have a problem with. yeah totally um, but it's not the full answer right I agree right um, so when I say I'm a lefty, it's because I'm willing to be critical of, you know, sort of the way things are. And since the system I grew up into was capitalism, then I'm going to be the left of a capitalist, um, necessarily, right? Because, you know, I went to a school that valued, and then I'd be, what I do is value. If someone says left, you ask, why not right? Someone says right, why not left? Why not down the middle? Why mm-hmm. not, right? When someone says things are objective, I say, okay, that's a perspective that doesn't make it necessarily correct. That we, you know, you can be at the left of an issue, you can be the right issue, you can be in the middle, but they're still all positions. Mm-hmm. So you're necessarily gonna see some things, you're not gonna see some things. Uh, this analogy I use, if there was an accident that happens on the corner there, and people are standing at different parts of the corner, if you ask them what they saw, you would get a different perspective Everybody. from everyone. Mm-hmm. And even who was at fault,
1: mm-hmm.
2: based on what they were able to see. Mm-hmm. The person on that side may not have seen the driver texting. Mm-hmm. The person on this side saw the driver texting, but this person on that side saw the other driver yawn. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So, um, so you necessarily need as much of a 360 as you can get, and that's only being in two dimensions if you put it in a whole sphere. Yeah, right. Critical thinking critical anything says. There's another viewpoint on this. Let's gather as many as we can. And then once you weigh all those come to a conclusion that, you know, is temporal. <laughs> That's the yeah. other piece of it. It's temporal because the next situation won't be exactly the same.
1: I think it's uh, you bring up a, a point that we often try to get to because it has gone bananas the interpretations of left, right, center, conservative, liberal. And fundamentally, the liberal left is progressive in thought, meaning at a fundamental nature, and please challenge uh, challenge me or correct me if I'm wrong, it is to move things forward to a a different state than it currently is, whereas conservative is it's working just fine. Keep it going. Leave it Don't need to to mess with it. Ironically, at the end of the day, with a conservative mindset, the thought of what's working in your lifetime used to actually be a liberal thought based on this construct. So everything's liberal until it becomes conservative. Um, interestingly enough, at least the way I look at it, in its very simple form, because I think we've over what the term is just to vilify it from the other side I don't know yeah. you know I,
2: depending on sort of how you want to play with this not all progressives are the same correct some progressives just want a kinder gentler yeah system that are now right so so the question is do you want um, equality of opportunity quality of access or quality of outcome right quality of outcome requires you do to do radical things to actually transform systems mm-hmm. to revolutionize things right um in different ways right so that the, the the band of bottom of society top of society is is lessened right mm-hmm. um so it, those are the places that we sort of debate about right are we talking about quality access quality of Right? Outcome, quality of opportunity, quality of access, quality of outcome. I fall on the the edge of a quality of outcome, which means we might have to make equitable responses. Mm -hmm. Right? So, and by that I mean, you know, I can give everybody a pair of shoes, right? So everyone has access, opportunity shoes, but the shoes are only size seven. Mm. The only people who will truly benefit from yeah, those shoes are people were, wearing yeah. size seven, yeah. right? If You're a size 13. You're out of luck. If yeah, you're a size well. three, you can make it work. Right. Right. Yeah. But not very efficiently. Right. So, so, you know, therein lies sort of the sort of societal battle that yeah. every society has had. Yeah. Right. Um, because if you believe that talent is are for me, it's, it becomes this, if you believe that talent, whatever that means, is randomly distributed by nature, God, whatever that happens to be, right? Yeah. Then you would expect to see at random within one standard deviation, right? At every levels of society, pretty much proportional to whatever that population is, right? right? If, if you have 50, 50 male, female, then at the t- highest, you should have 50, 50. At the bottom, you'll have 50-50, whatever, whatever the, 50, 50, whatever that is. If that's not occurring, right? Then something's got to be intervening, Mm -hmm. right? And if something's intervening, what do you think that is? Right? And for some people it's God made this group better or nature made this group better. Right? So that's sort of the supremacist supremacist Mm -hmm. explanation. If it's not that right, then there must be structural constraints. And those structural constraints are historical and intergenerational. Um, and even and not from a religious perspective, but if you look in the Bible, it says, you know, the sins of the fathers is, is foisted onto the children for six generations, it takes six generations to get rid of something mm-hmm. because of the way our system works, we don't get six generations. We had affirmative action of the sixties. We barely got two generations when people said, well, that's giving them too much of an advantage. I'm an affirmative action baby, right? I didn't have an Uncle Richard, I didn't have an Uncle Bob, I had an Uncle Sam. Mm. Once I walked through those doors, I either performed in that classroom or I didn't. Mm. I didn't perform, I was gone, right? So so when you, when you begin to sort of start to play with these sorts of things, right? To correct what needs to be corrected, if we believe in sort of the smallest, with from top to bottom, not that there will be some at the top, there'll be some at the bottom, but that it's random, um, then it won't happen in one generation, won't happen in two generations, won't happen in three generations. It's going to take more than that because the way in which resources have been sort of distributed at this point, Keeps you from getting to the next right if you if you don't inherit wealth It's hard to become wealthy, right? right? Um, So if if you have a a group that that generationally inherits debt, that is to say You have to borrow or come out of your own savings to bury your parents Mm -hmm. Right
0: The next the The next next group isn't getting ahead
2: and and I can do that by class we can look at it by class and race, but that's why I'm saying, you know, uh, whether you're talking about poor folk in West Virginia, are you talking about poor folk in inner city USA? Mm-hmm. Name the city, right? So I, so for me, I, I think the it, at one level it's simple, and the other level it's not, right? Right? Um, one of the things that social science hasn't been able to do well. I can talk as a social scientist about sort of statistical probabilities and all that sort of things and go into a classroom, look at that classroom based on its demography and saying chances are this 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 group will be successful or the chances of success from this classroom is that three of you will be the highest successful, right? What I can't do as a social scientist is tell you which three,
1: right?
2: Because it's not just talent alone. It's sort of circumstance, people's mindset, etc. Right? There are, you know, there are other, and then that's without getting to opportunity. Mm-hmm. But even if two people have the same opportunity, same af- same na- nat- natural ability, mm-hmm. whatever that talent yeah. is, yeah. one may have more drive than the other.
0: Yeah. I saw something recently that suggested that um, emotional like, emotional intelligence play in there. If you have the same IQ, same opportunities, same everything, emotional intelligence will even play in. So, yep. how did you, how, how were you nurtured?
2: And, and and at some point, what makes you unique as an individual, right? Apart from, I mean, while the other things play in the nurturing, all those other things play a role, there is a, a part of you that is who you are, right? Your being. That's your being, and and so, um, it, but it, it's it's accepting and understanding yourself for what your being is, right? I play basketball, love playing basketball. Only dunked the ball almost once, <laughs> right? <laughs> At five nine, um, didn't make me a worse basketball player, just one who couldn't dunk. Yeah. So I developed a heck of a left hand and some other things that caught, that were able to over to compensate for the fact that I couldn't dunk. Yeah. I played a different game. We all have sort of limits based on uh, whatever enterprise yeah. we're in. No question. And there's sometimes there's workarounds and sometimes they're not. Yep. Even with all those workarounds, I was never making an MBA. Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> right. That kind of goes to the change of the outcome. Right. Yeah. if if that were going to be a thing in the NBA, right, the system would need then to. Then we'd have to change. Then we'd right. have to change the rules, right, in order to give you five nines, but web access to
2: right to the NBA. So, but yeah, so,
1: but, um,
0: huh. what um what got you into this? Like, what got you into this line of work and, and
1: teaching? And adding on to that, like, because I, there's the synergy moment. We have about eight every episode, yeah. but uh, um, like kind of going back to the the gook comment, right? Right? Like, how much did that play a role? Especially given you're on a military base, green's the only color that matters, unless those green were calling people that look like your mother a derogatory term, and then here you are talking about this some. 10 years later (laughs) more than 10 years (laughs) about 50 years later
2: Um, you know I I think all of us come to be who we are incrementally to all the experiences that we have some are more some are more impactful at a moment Um, you don't hang on to it your entire life but something brings it out where you had to think about it and go wow wow Right, um, that I chose to, that that I ended up doing identity and race and some other stuff. That story became prevalent to me. Mm. But if you had asked me about it when I was 22 or 19, I probably wouldn't have recalled it. Mm. Right. So um, you know, so when you asked me sort of how did how did I come to do what I'm doing. Um, I, in a earlier conversation with Rodney, I said, you know, when I went to college, I was going to become a corporate tax lawyer.
1: Okay. Um,
2: competitive games, I'm good at those sort of things, sure. and and it has enough quantitative to it that um, it made sense to me. And some other things, I ended up coaching football because I, as I got to that point. Um, of two sort of parallel things were happening. Part, some of it probably was I was afraid I couldn't make it in law school, right? I mean, you get beat up a lot. Um, yeah. uh, but the other part was I was looking at doing something, and the men in my life that I knew who were doing it because they just loved to do it, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, those were my football coaches from. Pop Warner through high school and then into college. They all had capability of doing other things. Like my defensive back coach majored in business. He wasn't a PE major, right, Uh, at at college. He went to Penn State. Um, When I interviewed with Joe Paterno for the job, um, I remember saying he asked me what I was doing there with a Dartmouth degree. So I said, I don't know, what are you doing here? You were on your way to law school from Brown. I think that's why he hired me, not because I knew anything about football, because I was a smartass. <laughs> um, and came back at him. Um, but I wasn't afraid of him, right? Um, and so I think um, for me, I think all of us have different paths. Looking back over the years, and and uh, I was sharing too, when we're about 40, I have three roommates that we all were, became really close during college. And so we were sitting around at one of the guy's birthdays on uh, a 40th birthday. Right, one's an entrepreneur, one's a president of a chamber of commerce, the other's a Episcopal minister. And you could see for each of them that's pretty the way that they were going, at least that's what I thought. So when they got around to me I go, I had no clue I'd be doing what I'm doing. They fell out laughing, they laughed so hard they fell out of the chairs. For me the the sort of through thread has been teacher. Mm. That I'm doing what I'm doing was because in my personal life, because that's what God wants me to do. That's what I was put on this earth to do, or whatever psychic, spiritual thing you want. That I have a gift, we all have gifts. Well, every person has some sort of gift. I think one of my gifts has been to be a teacher. Um, whether it's coaching, whether it was running a Residence Assistance Program as the Dean of Residential Life, whether it is as a professor, right? Um, even the job I was offered by Gulf Oil was to go in their HR program, to run their education program, to teach, mm. right? Um, that energizes me, that's when, uh, that's when I feel most alive, right? I remember my high school coach, his wife said that you know when when Lou is coaching in football season he's never more alive, and she didn't see that as a threat to their marriage or anything that she understood that was him when I'm in front of a classroom i'm never more alive
1: I mean I think you and you know we're um, oh. coming up on time as these always fly by but you know I think one of the wonderful things that i've I get to observe in having this conversation is how you reflect nuance of of everything and you could be labeled a thousand different things and someone think you're that for everything you Mm -hmm. are and yet I mean this is the type of dialogue we love to have because it represents the there are a hundred people that a hundred different people who would have found something in common with you today. And, um, and I just, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us and yeah, talk about your background and history and share your thoughts. And I got to tell you, healthcare as a public good is going to stick with me forever. And I, I look at healthcare now differently than I had yesterday yeah, or that even was, an that hour. Was really good. Um, all of it was good. But, but before we go, Rodney always has to ask the one final question. I always got one final question. And it fits with how you look at your classroom and
0: you know, not telling people what to think, but getting them to think. Um, but what what would you leave what would you leave our listeners with?
2: you know i I think at this point it's sort of like how I ended the the TED talk you know that if I could have in one wish for all of us is that my story right and your story would become our story
1: mm.
2: that we engage with each other enough so that Your story becomes part of my story and my story becomes part of yours. That we know that we matter.